Welcome to the hearth of Sapbush Hollow, chronicles and lessons from a life tied to family, community, and the land. I'm Shannon Hayes, and I operate Sapbush Hollow Farm with three generations of my family in the northern Catskill Mountains in upstate New York. I'm the chef owner of Sapbush Cafe, a farm-to-table and neighbor-to-neighbor experience in our tiny hamlet of West Fulton. And I'm also the author of a few books, including Radical Homemakers and the Grass-Fed Gourmet. This podcast is the audio version of my blog, which can be found at sapbush.com or theradicalhomemaker.net. I used to be so frightened of Lyme disease and other tick-borne illnesses that I deprived myself of too many joys of the natural world. Eventually, I replaced their fear with information and education, and I found my way back out into the wilderness. I've been reflecting on that experience a lot as we reopen Sapbush Cafe. That's what I'll be talking about this week, and I'll also be sharing with you an important bill going before Congress whose passage will enable more small farmers to deliver safely raised and processed meat to consumers, and the failure of it will force more of us out of business. Please be sure to listen so you'll know how to help. You're listening to The Hearth of Sapbush Hollow, episode 21. I found a lady slipper. Bob rushes into the house. I'm groggy from my nap. Saturday was our first day with outdoor dining service, and with reduced capacity and little traffic, just the two of us handled the dinner shift. But I handled the 3 a.m. baking shift, too. That made it a 20-hour day for me, with 17 of those hours on my feet. I'll take you to see it. It's just in the woods up the road. He is eager for me to go back out with him. Ticks, I grouse and look longingly back at the stairs, the pathway to my bed. They're beautiful. I sigh and pull boots and socks over my bare feet. We walk up the road, scanning the edge of the forest for a good entry point. And I remember the years I was afraid to venture into the forest. Everyone I knew was coming down with Lyme disease or anaplasmosis or starry. I was petrified of getting a tick bite, petrified of my daughters getting tick bites. Thankfully, we have miles and miles of dirt roads and trails here in West Fulton, so we found ample opportunities to be outdoors. But those woods, those fields. I have memories pushing freely through the hay fields when I was a child, finding the pink musk mallows, deep purple vetch, and daisies amidst the timothy. I remember the grasses when they were taller than me, when I could lie down in the field and smell the warm sweetness as the tips of the seed heads seemed to brush against the fluffy clouds in June skies. I remember the pleasure of pushing through roadside weeds to a glade of flocks, their clovey scent washing over me as I picked a bouquet. I remember slipping into the woods along the hedgerows, finding the stone walls, then feeling the cool breeze as it lifted off the streams that crisscrossed them. Lyme disease put a stop to all of that about 15 years ago. My feet knew gravel and mowed lawn, the bricks and hardwood boards of my household floors, but they forgot the sensation of cool moss, of lichens on rocks, of the soft layers of the forest floor, the pull of tall grasses it intertwined with my toes as I listened to the intimate whispers of a sibilant hayfield. 
These were among the sweet treasures of life that became treacherous. Despite my precautions, I still got tick bites. I still had brushes with Lyme disease. But then I lost my fear. It wasn't a switch of one day to the next, I suppose. It was more of a tipping point, a slow pining for what was lost to me, which grew to a fevered passion until the living room seemed too confining, and the only place I could envision relaxing was deep in the forest, out on a ledge, or down along a stream bank. If the ticks were going to find us even when we took every precaution, then I might as well learn more about this enemy and stop depriving myself of my loves. I learned to scan my body for ticks, to plunge myself in a bathtub or a pond when coming out of a brushy area, to remind my kids to scan their bodies before going to sleep each night. Bob and I each assigned a set of clothes as our tick outfits. We asked forgiveness from the eco-gods and spray them down with permethrin a few times each season and don them each time we venture off the beaten path. Ticks and their diseases didn't go away. But I realized I was suffering from a different tick-borne illness by living my life in perpetual fear of them. Nature deprivation. I think of this often lately, in part because we're in tick season, but also because of COVID-19. Weekly, I'm talking to different friends and fellow business owners. We're all confronting massive anxieties about reopening. Cases are going down in New York State, even though they're growing globally. We mutually shoulder the burden for keeping those numbers where they ought to be. And as business owners, we're making those decisions for our staff and our customers. Justin from Green Wolf, who brews the beer we serve in the cafe and runs the tap room down in Middleburg, is fearful of having to enforce social distancing when people are consuming alcohol. Anthony from Plowshares, our coffee roaster who's just reopened one of his cafes on the Upper West Side, is confronting the ire of customers who are angry about having to order electronically over a phone rather than just speaking their orders to staff. Dave of the Muzan House, who buys our meats for his farm-to-table restaurant up in Saratoga, has torn apart his kitchen and rebuilt his bar to create greater social distancing. He and I debate whether paper plates and disposable cutlery are a necessary precaution. There is an interdependency between all of us. I need Justin's beer for our night business. He needs his space back at the breakfast bar where he can drink Anthony's coffee and regain equilibrium each week. Dave says if he can't serve sapbush meat, he's turning his restaurant vegetarian. Dave's checks cash flow my business through winter along with Anthony's coffee beans. Anthony needs meat and a place to come sit on a Saturday night to nurse a beer and wash away the strain of reopening down in the city. We are a tiny part of our regional economy, each of us needing the other to survive. Each of us worries that this virus will flare out of control again. Each of us scans the horizons and makes contingency plans for another shutdown. Each of us vows to find ways to keep our customers, family members, and staff safe. Bob intertwines his fingers in mine and pulls me off the road and through the brush to cross into the forest. Briefly, I imagine those fearsome ticks reaching from their perches, swinging like acrobats to catch a bit of my clothing, then scrambling through the folds and creases until they can root their way under my belt line. But the lady slipper is up ahead. A hardy orchid, a rare sight, blooming upon the forest floor waiting to be admired.
and I know that the reward of the beauty is worth the calculated risk, and I know that my conversations with Anthony and Justin and David will continue. We will argue over the best way forward. We will push each other. We will write our policies and train our staff and wear those masks and open our doors. Because for us, the rewards are there. Watching someone laugh over a beer, seeing family members share a meal, sliding love across a counter in a cup of coffee, igniting someone's taste buds, witnessing the brightening of someone's face as they meet up with an old friend or neighbor, creating delight, offering sanctuary, dazzling the senses, building community. This is why we do what we do. This is why we learn to channel our fear into education, our education into strategies, our strategies into daily practice. And we will recover all those dazzling thrills that brought our minds and spirits to these businesses to begin with. Bob and I wander the forest floor until we find the flower. She's stunning. As our eyes grow accustomed to the change in light, we make a discovery. There's actually a little grove of them pushing forward their bellies and pride, flaunting their beauty for us. And I'm reminded once more of the great joy and delight that comes from pushing through fear. with the support of my patrons on Patreon. And this week, I'd like to send a shout-out to my patrons, Justine Buchanan and Diana Mason. Thank you, folks. I couldn't do it without you. If you'd like to help support my work and gain access to exclusive content, you can do so for as little as $1 a month by hopping over to Patreon and looking up Shannon Hayes. For those of you who've been following straight along, you've learned that Sapbush Hollow Farm is losing access to our federally inspected slaughterhouses due to an influx of animals from the COVID-infected plants out west. We're trying to move our customers over to an animal share CSA-style system so that we can continue to process their meat for them. That's because we still have access to state-inspected custom slaughterhouses. These are the butchers who process meat for hunters, homesteaders, and farmers processing their own animals. The law states that if we farmers are to sell cuts of meat at a farmer's market or other retail outlet, we have to send it through a USDA-inspected facility. This discussion has sparked a flood of replies from farmers out there. Sapbush Hollow is far from alone in this. I'm hearing tales of transporting livestock treacherously long distance over dangerous roads, of farmers having to bribe their federally inspected butchers to let them have a processing date, and of farmers having to schedule appointments for livestock two years out, scheduling slaughter dates for animals that haven't even been born yet. In the midst of a food shortage, small farmers are being barred from the legal means to bring their products to market. This does not make sense. We need your help. Next month, the Prime Act, S-1620-1620, is going before the Senate. It would enable the in-state sale of small farmers' meat processed at these state-inspected custom slaughterhouses. Basically, it would enable local food processing for local food. Makes sense, right? Everyone has faced the grocery store shortages that have happened as a result of COVID disruptions with an industrial food supply. 
We local farmers have the ability to get it to the people safely, but the requirement to funnel all animals through these USDA facilities is crippling us. And if you're concerned about food safety, well, just look at the number of illnesses that have come out of these plants. Small custom plants adhere to strict safety protocols, and they process animals one at a time so that the sources are traceable. So please, if you like to eat, take a minute to call or write your senator and urge them to sign on to S-1620, the Prime Act, to empower the small farmers of this country to save us from the next round of food shortages. I will post information about the Prime Act from the Farm and Ranch Freedom Alliance on the Sapbush blog so you can find more details. Meanwhile, as Sapbush Hollow runs out of retail USDA-inspected stock, we will not be permitted to sell individual retail cuts. We will, however, be able to sell meat shares like whole cut-up lambs, quarter-and-half pigs, and half-quarter, eighth- and sixteenth cow shares. This year's lamb, beef, and pork harvest may have to come entirely in shares. If you haven't considered buying your meats in this way, please start making plans. You can find the CSA meat shares at sapbushfarmstore.com. For some good news, our COVID-19 infection rates continue to decline here in upstate New York, so the cafe is now open for dining at half capacity. You can find us Saturdays from 9 to 1 for breakfast and lunch and 5 to 8 for dinner. State regulations require that all guests wear masks unless seated at their tables. You can find our COVID safety plan at the top of the Sapbush blog. And please make reservations before you come so that we can plan accordingly and serve you safely. It is an honor to be your farmers and to help you cook at home with nourishing ingredients. If you aren't local and you're sending your food dollars to your own local farmers right now, thank you. This is going to keep our community economies going and the local food flowing no matter what happens in the broader world. Also, as many of you will recall, we have both a tenter site and an Airbnb vacation rental. We have new protocols instituted to enable safe vacation getaways while the pandemic rages on, which includes special cleaning procedures and increasing the time between bookings. That means we'll be accepting a lot fewer guests this season, but that we are permitting longer stays. Since we're tucked away in the northern Catskills, much remains unchanged with social distancing. The hiking trails, the farm fresh food, craft beverages, and the swimming holes are all still here for your enjoyment. Hop on over to sapbush.com if you'd like to check them out. And now to my fellow farmers, again, thanks for listening, and thanks for the work you're doing. We're navigating through a lot of instability as a nation. Now, more than ever, we need each other to be there and to hold strong. We're weaving a new food system. We're trying to sow peace and sustenance amidst pain, loss, hatred, and confusion. We can get through this. We can come through this period with a healthier planet, healthier food system, and with greater justice and kindness. But we need as many people at the table as possible to make it work. So please remember, you cannot execute your calling if you aren't well. Take care of yourselves. The work we can do to build health and restore community is endless. But we can only do what the day allows. Please be kind to each other, then get some rest so you can keep going strong tomorrow. The work will always be there another day. Stay healthy and loving, everyone. 
This was produced and edited by the sexiest man alive, my husband, Bob Hooper, and the great music we're listening to comes to us from memory. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Now the birds are singing about all the things they've seen over in the other countries, sowing seeds and reaping dreams, and I think that I am learning all